When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com, one of our most basketball-heavy podcasts of the year. Tim Priester back from New York, the ACC tournament. Notre Dame makes a run to the final before falling to Duke, and then Sunday night draws a five-seed. So why don't we talk Brooklyn real quick before we get into the five-seed and spinning it all the way forward into Notre Dame against Princeton on Thursday in Buffalo, as Tim Priester will be making that scenic drive uh, through (laughs) Northeast Ohio and then... Upstate New York, I guess. Um, Brooklyn. I was... Well, on our last podcast, we talked about we didn't expect them to make it past Virginia. But we thought if they did, they would make it to, to right. Saturday night, which they did. Um, but I, I didn't think that in doing so, they would have played as well as they did really in three games. Because yeah. I would include Duke as a, no. you played really, really well. I mean, you were there in Barclays Arena. Was it... What was the vibe there around Notre Dame, um, you know, Bray in particular? Well, you th- you look at 120 minutes of basketball. They played great basketball for about 90 or 100 of them. I mean, they were that was a really really good basketball team, especially against Virginia and Florida State. Duke exposed them at a, at a certain point, but they made a run, took a lead, had an eight point lead. Is that when Farrell took the three when when they were up eight? Which is a good shot for him because you want him you know, trying to put a dagger uh, into them at that point. But they did a lot of good things. I, the, to me, the most surprising thing, and I know Virginia's offense is not what it was with uh, Malcolm Brogdon and Anthony Gill, but their defense was great against Virginia. Bray worked in a one-two-two, which is a little twist, and it made it difficult for um, um, – it certainly made it difficult for Florida State to get the ball in the middle – which they didn't want that to happen to, to Jonathan Isaac. Florida State had no clue. Yeah, yeah they didn't. But, you know, they didn't want Isaac getting the ball in the middle of the lane. He shot two for seven. So, I mean, defensively they did great. At a certain point, you know, I, I, I think the intensity and in the playing three straight, straight nights caught up to them. I know Duke was playing for a fourth straight night. But those are more elite uh, athletes and, and basketball players. We talked about this before the <clears> podcast, but Duke right now is the equivalent of Notre Dame having Bonzi Colson being the best player in the ACC, which was you know either he or Luke Kennard for for my money this season, and then having a guy better than Bonzi Colson all of a sudden on Notre Dame. That's what Duke has with Jason Tatum. So they have the second best player in the ACC all year, and now they have the best player who's going to be the number one pick in the draft. It is the biggest <laughs> trade up. I mean, Duke exposed Notre Dame for have, not being an NBA yeah. team, basically. And you have, great, you have Grayson Allen hitting, you know, you know he's a great yeah. shooter. You have Matt Jones hitting a big three. You have Jackson hitting a big three. Matt Jones is the only guy on that team you wanted shooting that and yeah. nailed it. He was two of his previous 19, and he drills it. I mean, it's just, you have credit to Duke. Right? Yeah, I found it's, it interesting that, what, and I was also at the North Carolina Duke game, which is, you know, that's an event. And and the fans treat as such. But, man, the North Carolina fans travel much better than the Duke fans. That was clearly a partisan Tar Heel crowd. 
uh, for that game. Yet when it was Duke and Notre Dame, I don't know where the Duke fans came from all of a sudden, but maybe because Notre Dame has like a, a section of about 25 people over there <laughs> behind the bench. And that, you know, I mean, that's basically about it. You know, remember when they won it and the people are staying behind the bench when they won it two years right. ago? You, you, I have a picture that captures the whole Notre Dame section and it's all North Carolina. And that's just what happens yeah. when they travel these things. It's the opposite for football, but then it gets the opposite result usually too. Yeah, I mean, you can't get Duke fans to show up in the afternoon. They're working in their hedge funds and law offices. So, I mean, Saturday night, they're available. I mean, Duke, you're bringing Harry Giles, ESPN's number one overall player, off the bench. Versus yeah, and he's Martin not Kevin. I mean, I mean he's, not, he's just scratching the surface yes. of what he's going to be. He's not, but that's they, 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 are, they have a lot of beautiful basketball players, Duke. Um, and I thought Notre Dame did a great job with them. I think that really would have been... One of Bray's best coaching job and a, a really a three-year run of best coaching jobs. I mean, it's it's amazing to me with that loss in the postseason. They're twelve and four the last three years. Their losses are Kentucky, North Carolina, North Carolina, and Duke. Yeah, you pointed that out. That's, the previous that's fourteen years, Bray was sixteen and twenty-three. Old Dominion. Well, he, you know what he commented about that. State. Yeah, I mean, he, it, Pete, it, he commented about that last night and just flat out admitted that he said early on I was too tight for games. I I negatively impacted my team in postseason play. You know, now he goes by loosest coach in yeah. America, and he's really he's really pulled back. And he was that way again. I went to practice on uh, days are mixed up now. Wednesday, I guess John Jay uh, College, and and he was loose, and and his team really really goes for it. I I, I mean, I just I, I'm not shocked that they beat Virginia. But I'm shocked at how how much great basketball they played during those three games. Yeah, it was it was fun to watch them, and that's I think the way a lot of people in the message board are reacting is how far can they go? I don't know because I kind of feel like it's the Virginia game. This this Princeton game, I know it's a you, you can't ask really for a better draw to, to draw Princeton a team that Notre Dame can actually out athlete and out play on the basketball court. But if you remember a couple years ago, man, Northeastern. Had the ball and a chance to win with 20 seconds left. And that's what's going to happen in this game. And if you can get past this game, West Virginia likes to press you, and Notre Dame can beat the press and have open shots. they got to hit them. Of course, they would have beat Duke had they hit open shots. There's Literally, no doubt about yeah. it. There were three shots from, from, from my seat uh, across from the Notre Dame bench. There were, when they were winning, there were shots by Farrell, Beecham, and Vestoria that were online. I thought they were all three were going, and they didn't. And once that happened... You know, Duke started running a little bit. You, and mentioned, stop you mentioned being tight. They're going to be tight one more game this year, and it's Thursday. Because they will be play loose against what they're going to be an underdog if it's West Virginia. Mm-hmm. They're going to be an underdog if it's Gonzaga. They're going to be an underdog if it's Arizona. They'll be, they might be an underdog if it's Florida State for some reason. I would love to see Florida State down the line again. They have no idea. No, they really don't. Well, game. they're, you know, they're, they're young. Boy, you should, you should have heard uh, Leonard Hamilton's. Uh, Oh, Comments. We, it came through on the it? TV. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was loud and clear in the arena as well. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, he, he was really yeah, upset. In the he was very unhappy. TV. And let's talk about that a little bit because I don't get all caught up in seeds and stuff. When people were saying, well, Notre Dame might be a three, I knew that wasn't going to happen. I thought they'd be a four. Yeah. It really doesn't matter because the four and five play in game two anyway. But why in the world is Florida State a three and Notre Dame a five? Did you hear what Jay Billis said about that game when he, during the game? About no, the, no, no, I did not. He said, it's like... You're watching the guys that are on their lunch break. Yes, <laughs> they went down to the park and just destroyed the high school kids because the guys on their lunch break know how to play. <laughs> tremendous line. Yeah, I immediately got a text from my old roommate in Atlanta, as a Florida State grad. Like, I'm ashamed how much I agree with that. <laughs> just... But I, I, I'm trying to understand why Florida State gets a three because 
you, you look at non-conference schedule. Okay, they play Temple, Illinois, Minnesota, and Florida. Well, Notre Dame played, you know, Northwestern and Colorado, Villanova, and Purdue. Um, Florida State was three and six in the conference on the road. They were nine and zero home, three and six on the road. Um, I don't. I, I almost felt like because there was a site in Orlando, they were bound and determined to get Florida State there, and they made them a three. I, I don't. I don't have any other explanation for that. I, it makes no sense to me. I mean, you look at the the overall seeds, like one through sixty eight. Florida State is ten. That's crazy. Florida State was the tenth best team in the country. I I, I don't know what it's based on. <laughs> they they. I, they had the same. They they were in a three way tie for second. I, that I don't, is ridiculous. I don't but you know get what? It. They didn't get that much better of a situation than Notre Dame because, I mean, you have either Xavier or Maryland in the second round. That's not that much different than I mean, Bucknell could beat West Virginia, as Pete has pointed out. Notre Dame's second round has opened up for them, or second round last year and Sweet Sixteen right. the previous year. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if Arizona's. I know Gonzaga deserves the number one seed, but he would rather play Arizona or Gonzaga. In the there's no doubt. Yeah, there's no doubt. I don't think it really hurt them. Um, as I said, it's just I think Notre Dame fans are going to be frustrated Thursday, and I don't think it's it's not a unique situation. There's going to be a lot of teams that play tight games. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think Thursday's bad. I agree with what Mike Bray said. I hope we have Friday. It is. Yeah, Princeton, play, Princeton played Sunday, yeah. but I, it's almost like when 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 you go through what Notre Dame went through yes. with the three late nights – in the in the late one on Saturday, Princeton playing on Sunday. I think it's Princeton didn't chase Jason Tatum. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a wash. Up. And as I said when I got back from New York, New York's hard, man. New York's hard on everybody. Anybody that's there for the tournament for whatever reason, it's hard. And it was hard on the Notre Dame players. The best story is more tired than you, probably. Yeah. So <laughs> well, it's he ain't fifty six. I think this all this uh, like hand wringing over the seed. It, like the start time is a bigger deal than Notre yeah. Dame's seed, because um, you also you have Bonzi Colson's foot and ankle and how that's doing, because that is going to have a lot to do with how far Notre Dame might be able to go. And you know, having an extra day is that's that's a real material thing that's no going to help you feel better. He, I saw him last night. I mean, he seems to be okay. He was limping. He was going to get treatment. They were going to have him in a boot for the next at least twenty four hours. Which is just precautionary, you know. I, I think everything's going to be okay there. Certainly, yeah. You know, he's gonna he, he's gonna be right there, and he's a warrior. And um, yeah, you know, when when he went down, I never saw the replay of it. I heard it looked, it looked pretty good. ugly. Yeah. 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 But they said it was a twist, not a sprain. I don't know if you he can you differentiate that for me because I don't I don't know. But he did, he did come back pretty quickly. He left the bench and. He never did go yeah. all the way back to the locker room. Yeah, he so. just ran laps or something. But he only scored three points after that. Boy, it was a shot, though. It that, was a that, shot. That was, that was beautiful. That's what I thought they actually might pull that one out. Yeah, it's. I mean, just some tournament history. I think the last time I remember Notre Dame playing the first game of the tournament was the New Orleans game against Old Dominion, where they were asleep the from start to finish. They've been a five seed twice under Mike Bray. One was 2003 when they went to the Sweet 16, beat Illinois. And the other one, they beat George Mason and then lost to Washington State with Tony Bennett like by 20 points. Well, I was at that one in Denver, and you want to talk about an ugly performance. That was awful. But, you know, they're, but, and you're right, Pete, but I mean, they're, don't you think they're beyond that? Oh, I mean, the they're, they're not yeah, going they to sleepwalk. I, I think they're totally beyond that. I do think, and this is a point that O'Malley has made a bunch, and I think it is worth repeating when you look at Notre Dame and think, well, of course they're going to advance because Notre Dame wins in the tournament now. <laughs> they were down 12 at half to Michigan last year. After that, they 
yeah, they needed those steel. They beat Stephen F. Austin, which they got a huge break from beating West Virginia, and then they needed those steals against Wisconsin very late, which were just crazy plays. The year before the Northeastern game, which we've already referenced, Butler was overtime. If uh, I'm not mistaken, Panikin flying block shot, yes. and you know that yeah. shot's going in too. So with Butler in a tournament game, yeah, and really one of the key results in recent Notre Dame NCAA tournament history was actually Wichita State beating Kansas in the second round because. Instead of getting Kansas in the Sweet 16, Notre Dame got Wichita State and, and murdered. No them. doubt about it. And West Virginia's not going to get upset two years in a row in, in this scenario. So you're, if you win, you're going to have to yeah. play West Virginia, and that's going to be so that line 40 minutes three of pressing. Which line? West Virginia and Bucknell? Bucknell. Yeah. Someone knows something, Tim. Well, you know, well that's true. <laughs> Ryan Ayers has the, if they if they play Bucknell, Ryan Ayers has the scouting report for Bucknell. That's He's right. quite familiar that's with that. Yeah. Totally I mean, the, that. these are the seeds Notre Dame has knocked out in the last two years. 7-11, 14-6, and 7. But they almost knocked out the best regular season team yeah. in the last And they lost by two to Kentucky right. against a just ridiculous team. I mean, they're, 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 their losses, what I referenced earlier, it's Kentucky... All-time great team that did not win the tournament. North Carolina twice, which pretty much had that the tournament won last year. And then Duke last year, which most people would say is one of the hottest teams going into the tournament right now. So it's, it look, it's the tournament. Why do we love it? Because you don't know what the heck's going to happen. Notre Dame's been on the right side of that the last two years. Can they be on the right side of that for three years? I, I think they're... They're in as good position as, as it could be. I mean, there's no doubt. Their I mean, mindset. You look, at, you look at some of those the, those Notre Dame teams, the the old Dominion loss and the Washington State loss, the Iowa State loss. Oh, they were <laughs> limping through the conference tournament. They were really lagging in March at the end of the regular season. This team is not doing that. Iowa State looked like six on four. Oh, it was really, that was awful. really bad. That was when I think it was a fan too for, for a, fans, the, the Xavier, <laughs> so to speak, Xavier for game. Yeah. The Xavier game when the, the, you that had high in yeah. the second round waiting for you. Um, yeah, this team just feels like it's got the operation and the engine running in a way that those teams didn't. So this, I mean, this team feels a lot more like the last two years than. But I'm here to tell those. you that was one tired group of dudes yeah, there yeah. last night. <laughs> That's yeah. why I think the only possible tightness in a game is when Notre Dame and Princeton are tied with eight minutes left. I think Notre Dame and West Virginia are tied with eight minutes left. Everyone in the world thinks Notre Dame's going to pull that game out. Yeah. And if Notre Dame and Gonzaga are tied with eight minutes left, that's also a good case yeah. scenario for Notre Dame. It's it's this one you got to. I have a get question: past. Does Princeton ever run something other than the Princeton offense? <laughs> I think it's just called offense. <laughs> yeah, it's just called offense. There. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated Insider. we got a bunch of questions, some hoops, some football recruiting, and uh, some obvious spring practice stuff, even though Notre Dame's on spring. So all that next, segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider. Two of Irish Illustrated Insider burning up the boards. We start with a question from Griswold06. Let's assume that the latest strength and conditioning staff change is the real deal. Are strength and conditioning developments that translate to meaningful on-field results measured in months or years? Their uh, offensive line's not starting from scratch. No. I mean, they can certainly look much better than they did last year. I mean, the defensive line, I don't think, is starting from scratch either. I'm not sure if it's going to be a stout defensive line, but nothing to do with the strength and conditioning issues. It's just a, if their talent level will be good enough on that side. But the offensive line was plenty good two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is, look, this is a quote from Grim Martini. Our first workout of the year was harder than any workout I went through my 
previous three years here. So it definitely is different. Um, are they going to throw the Georgia defensive line around? Probably not. Um, could they be better in the fourth quarter? Do they have a little bit better mental toughness? They better. Um, I mean, that, that the season's not going to work out if they don't. So I, I don't... I think it's the issue and the positive for Notre Dame is more of a toughness thing than a strength thing necessarily, uh, if that makes sense. I think it I think it does. I think it's a stamina issue in the fourth quarter as well. I, you know, I, you can make up a lot of ground in a short period of time yeah. if you're doing things the right way with strength and conditioning, and, and I think that they'll do that. I agree. I don't think that, you know, they're not start, starting from scratch. They did win, I mean, they won 10 games two two seasons ago. Uh, and it was the same strength and conditioning coach. But, hey, it's all a positive. And, and, you know, when the players are tweeting it out and responding to it, nobody knows better than them, you know, the, the, the positive steps that they're taking. Yeah. All right. Next up, Irish, I guess, Nebraska has the back-to-back Elite Eights equaled recruiting sets for men's basketball. You know, I think it would have the, the loss in the Kentucky defeat was, obviously everybody was devastated by it. That's one of the few basketball defeats at the last – 40 years that uh, knocked down the Notre Dame fan base for more than one day uh, was the fact that I think a win over Kentucky in a Final Four would have equaled recruiting success. And I honestly, I think it was that big of a deal had they been able to beat them on that stage instead of just being the most memorable loss in the last couple of years. That was that's the one that would have moved the needle, I think, completely. Yeah, and there's uh, yeah, no, <laughs> a, a win of that magnitude. And this is really a question I asked Mike Bray a few weeks ago, and and. You know he's not suddenly going to start recruiting five star players. It's that's he can't run his system with those type of players, selfish players. Not all five stars are selfish, but you're right. That's you know, right. I mean, they they come from a different background with a with a different mindset. He said, you know, he talked about and he said it this way: the dreaded three star player. You know, he's making fun <laughs> of the he's making fun of the fact that you know just because a guy's listed as a three star doesn't mean that he can't develop into a a quality basketball player, and he lives off developing three-star players into four-star level talent. Yeah, we did a whole I did a whole column on at the end of, the, of Monday Musings on his two and three stars versus his four and five stars, and it was would have been a pretty close game, honestly. Now, before we start championing three-star talent, I don't know if anybody saw Jason Tatum's tip dunk over Matt Ryan. <laughs> you can recruit Jason Tatum and maybe work him into the offense, right. too, but he realistically is not going to get a lot of those guys. It would be great if they got one every three to four years because if you put... One of those doesn't have to be Jason Tatum, but if you put one of those type of guys in with the Demetrius Jackson team, in with this team, what if Bonzi had a, as you like to say, the bouncy athlete at six nine, yeah. two ten coming along? That right now. that that particular type of yeah. player yeah. is what you'd really like to see them get because they can get guards, they can get shooters. He can make three star players into eighteen point a game scores. Matt Farrell is just as good as all the four and five star right. guards he's going to be facing right now. The way he's developed, but it's different when you have the. Tall. The tall athlete. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, the 2014 class, Matt Farrell was a two-star, Bonzi Colson was a three-star, and Martin Gibb was a four-star. So, riddle me <laughs> that, recruiting analysts. Um, I, but I would, look, I'm, I'm surprised they have not cashed in on it more. Um, they have one player in the freshman class coming in, DJ like Harvey, he's a good one. But they have, they have not signed a true big since Gibbon. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not a good situation in terms of just roster yeah, Mo- balance. Mooney. I mean, he's I more. Guess. I guess he's like six eight. Yeah. Right? So I just, I thought they would cash in more. I thought that they would, they would have found the next Zach August. Um, 
a year right. ago. Yeah, and I agree. I, you know, Bray considers Nicola uh, Jogo as part of the freshman class next year with Harvey. Sure. And you know, I've talked about. But he's him. also I like not him. a six ten guy that can. No, no, but he is six seven, and he's he's very. He, people are going to see two things: one, how athletic he is, and two, how well he can shoot. It's it, it will be a big class coming up the year after yeah. Harvey. They yeah. they need to they need to hit. I mean, it really needs to be one of Bray's better classes. You know, it's interesting if Mike Bray, however, tried to recruit like Duke, and and was twenty five percent as successful, Notre Dame would get murdered by Duke in every game because he would not have senior and juniors like Vastoria, Beecham, Colson, and Farrell that are good because they're older playing against Duke's young guys. Look, Duke loses because ever, ever, any game because they recruit like Duke because Duke right now could have the starting lineup of Jalil Okafor, Justice Winslow. Well, that's, a, that's amazing. Ty, I mean, Jones should still be there. Jabari Parker would be a senior. <laughs> So we wouldn't know who Jason Tatum is because he'd be on LSU. Right. And that's just the way it goes. I mean, Duke, it's a different world they operate in, and he's smart to do it the way he does. He just has to. It would be great if he throws in one guy with that ability. Mike Bray's not going to change the way he recruits, especially now because he's emboldened by the fact that his system with his type of players works. And I think he tries to get one of these guys once in a while. He tried for Thon Maker. Thon Maker. Yeah, that was, I mean, that would have been, just put Thon Maker on this team. They're the best team in the country, probably. I guess if you're going to... Look at the Duke comparison a little bit. They need to get Emil Jefferson. Yes. That's who Notre Dame yeah. needs to be signing up. A, a player of that level. McDonald's All-American, by the way. Who is not the level level, like right. the one-and-done yeah. guy. Um, like Tobias Harris was a guy Notre Dame really tried to take a run at. He ended up going to Tennessee. He was a one-and-done. I think he's still in the league. Um, that was maybe six, seven years ago. They haven't really come close. Thon Maker was one. Jared Allen was another one. He's at Texas right now. He'll be a one-and-done there. Um, that's the kind of, they just, they, they need an athletic big, really. They're, that's what They might, they to. would, they would be a one or two seed if Thon Maker oh. was on, they, they'd be a one yes, seed if Thon Maker oh, was yeah. on the team. Sure. Jared Allen at Texas, I think they would be. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike Brave, kind of, I think it was only partly tongue in cheek when he talked about Ben Lammers. He said, I don't know who my coach was that was recruiting Texas, but I'm not sure how he missed on this guy. I right. think there was 50% truth to him saying that because he would look good in the middle. Of Notre Dame's defense. No doubt about it. Yeah, no question. All right, next up, CPU 15. Other recruiting sites have stated that Notre Dame is taking five receivers in this class. I love wide receivers, but is there really room for five? I don't there imagine is. that's humanly possible. There's no, <laughs> no. There would be a lot of suspensions for Well, I would tell you that uh, according to Dell Alexander on National Signing Day, they're taking three or four. So if something's changed, I guess. Um, but the fact that they're approaching tight ends now... I think if there was a fifth guy, he would actually be a tight end, not a wide receiver. So that'd be thirty to thirty-five percent of your class. Yeah, it's and look at the receiver position. They don't lose anybody. They're not really losing yeah. anybody. They they're a little low on numbers right now. I don't think that having like ten receivers is a, a great figure, but having fifteen is not either for the opposite reason. In a perfect world for Notre Dame, St. Brown could be great and leave. Then you need one other receiver, guess, right? Yeah. But that's a jump to be able to well, just and, take off. And maybe just like with Elko's defense, you need fewer linebackers because of the way they play it. I mean, maybe you need you don't need quite as many receivers because Chip Long's going to run more multiple tight end sets. And I think also comes down to this: who, what combination of players would you rather have on the field, Brock Wright and Cole Komet, or Jafar Armstrong and Michael Young? Yeah, I like the two tight ends. Let's go with the two tight ends. Yeah. So I, I think that that's part of it too. But I think that also leads to like if you get a third another tight end, it could be interesting. 
Uh, Air Pirate 73, if Sam Mustafer keeps on making unforced errors, how close is Tristan Hodge to being his replacement? I mean, according to Brian Kelly last week, not that close. Because um, it sounds like they have full confidence in Sam Mustafer. Uh, again, I think we've talked about it on multiple podcasts. He played last year pretty much throughout with a high ankle sprain. It uh, wasn't a great year for him, but um, the coaching staff seems to have a lot of confidence in him. Talking to people behind the scenes, the issue with Hodge last year was he just... Just wasn't getting it. I mean, the light wasn't going off in terms of this is how this all fits together. Maybe that light will go on this offseason, but if there's a, a position that he wins, it sounds like it's going to be right guard, not center. Yeah, and this is something I've said through the years. Coaches don't – I think fans have a tendency to look at a guy and say, oh, he's struggled, let's find a replacement. Coaches look at it as we just invested 12 starts with Sam Mustafer. Yeah. He's going to get better. Than and the I version we saw last he year. He did get better, too, didn't he? He did. Well, well yeah, I mean, there's... They stopped airmail and stuff. Yeah, that, that was just a, a, a brief couple of snaps, and one of which was highly publicized in a, in a monsoon. Yeah, I think Sam Mustafer, for his first year, was not terrible as much as like people on message boards like to make him out. Like, I agree. Like, it was a total disaster. I thought he did some good things, and I think you look at him now, he's come a long way physically. He looks much more like... That's what a starting center is supposed to look like at Notre Dame. You know, is he Nick Martin? No. But Nick Martin was a second-round pick. I think Sam Mustafer will be a lot better this year. But I, I do think, look, the, the ankle sprain, I think, to be healthy will be a huge yeah. upgrade for him because yeah. he can move and plant and pull and all those kinds of things that were a bit of a struggle. How long have we been saying that uh, Alex Bars would be a better guard than tackle? Been, yeah, since he got here, I think. That was, since they first pushed back. Before on he got here. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's the people, I don't know what it is. People and that's not it, that's me. not etched in stone because it's a spring, but I would anticipate. And I'll, I'll say this. This is just my opinion. I think Tommy Kramer's a better guard than a tackle. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, but they need a tackle too. Well, that's, they, have, they have to work. No, I can. Yeah, yeah, no, Eichenberg's yeah. out there, and they have to put Kramer there. They have to try. But I just yeah. think, I think long term. And, and Alex Bars is a big, as big as a house, you know, wide and and tall. But he just, he just moves. He 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 doesn't move quite well enough, I think, to be to be a tackle. That's all right. You need great guards too. Yeah, he can be. He can be a very, very good guard. I don't yeah. think that he can right. be. Right, I think very a fifth good. year he'd be a really, really good guard in two yeah. years. It's amazing he's a senior. By the way, it doesn't seem like he should be a senior. No, Quentin Nelson, it does. We've been hearing his name forever, and everyone's thankful he's still there. But yeah, Alex Bar, I like to move to guard, and I, I think it is. It partly, definitely, partly a spring thing because Eichenberg and Kramer can go at it, competition, learn the position, and yeah. then they can make the decision early in August. Wash ND at your first full media viewing. Which position group are you most interested in watching? Uh, safeties were, was way more interesting than I thought. Um, so I'll answer it that way because look, I'm watching the defensive line and quarterback like everybody else, but safeties was much more curious because Nick Coleman was running with the ones and Jalen Elliott and Devin Stutzel were running with the twos together. We talked, I think I mentioned this on the podcast last Thursday. I'm curious if the coaching staff looks at those guys as a pair and they want to develop a chemistry between them, the two of them. So they're going to run on the twos together. Or maybe they'll run on the ones together when they're back next week after spring break. So I'd, safety is is much more interesting than um, maybe I was expecting going in that first. Practice. I don't think it was. I, I I think some were surprised that Tranquil was running at safety, and I don't think that's a surprise with the first practice because you want them to kind of start from a with a bit of a comfort zone and work for there. I mean, is there any doubt in your mind that he ends up at Rover or? Yeah, I mean, well, some weeks, you know. 
he won't end up at Rover against Michigan State, but I don't think he's going to not be on the field. No, I, I, I agree I mean? with that. But, I mean, one of the things that Mike Elko pointed out when we first met him was that, you know, I, I don't want to keep coming into the, the, the film room complaining about a guy that we keep putting in a position that he can't play. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I, I thought, I don't, I don't think he was sending out a message, but to me he was talking exactly about Drew Tranquil. Right. Yes, we spent the last two years. Yeah, talking about I mean, that. I don't think he was taking a <laughs> shot at Brandon Van Gorder, yeah. but but <laughs> like we do. But <laughs> to me, that's a perfect example. That's like, that. I mean, it's like okay, the, the Michigan State, Boston College. I mean, even Georgia, you could throw in that mix. They're more power running teams. They're probably going to have a third down at some point, right? I mean, <laughs> if everything goes according to plan, they will be in third down passing situations at some point during the game, and at that point, Drew Tranquil. Of the 75 snaps in the game can still, you know, get 25, 30 of them. So it's not, if he's the rover in third downs, that's still an important position. I want Sean Crawford to be my, uh, mm. <laughs> on the field in third down, no matter what happens. Yeah. That would be fine, well, too. Yes. That will happen, For too. me, the uh, position group I just want to look at is, are they playing two tight ends? Mm. Or are they playing the slot? Yeah. I want to see if Alizé Jones is out there with Smythe and Muddy's Claypool. Claypool rotating the slot like he did in our very brief viewing. Those are all guys that I would be very interested in. Well, based upon some of the film that we saw from the first practice, I Chase Claypool looked like a better blocking tight end than Durham Smythe. Don't you just want to see Claypool or Jones as the second guy out there as opposed to a slot receiver for Notre Dame? I know C.J. Sanders has like athletic gifts, but does how can they look at that and not <laughs> want to try that? It doesn't mean it has to work, but that... No, physically imposing and everything else about it. That is just what you want to see from your offense. Yeah, and I think there's enough flexibility in what Chip Long runs. That sure, he, will re- sure. he recognizes that and will we'll try to maximize it and take advantage of it. Dip98 asks, if Scott Pagano goes elsewhere and Daniel Cage remains out of shape or medically unable to play, which interior defensive lineman is most likely to see the biggest increase in snaps? Mm. Darnell Yule? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean they, they, I'm they, sorry, they all, other than Bonner and Tillery. Yeah, which is what they, they won't be playing Bonner and They just, yeah. Yeah. Watch, man, watching the first practice, they just don't have a lot of options there. Um, the, the, they're short on material, and that's, I, I know there's a lot of big pieces about, okay, what happens with the defensive line? How can they get more out of this position? Can they... You know, scheme it up and X and O's, or is this you know the magic touch of Mike Elko and his defense coordinating skills? Is that going to create something that's not there? Defensive line is a position where either you have it or you don't, and I think Notre Dame is more towards the don't. I like Dalen Hayes a lot, but on the interior of the defensive line, it's just I don't I don't think that's a position where you're going to have an out of nowhere story where like wow I, I didn't that guy just blew me away with how how good he was because it's. You have it or you don't. I think Notre Dame's, they're, they've got a bunch of don'ts. You know, maybe Elijah Taylor. That would probably be one of the first names. But, but I mean, until until a do Treadway. He's never played a game. He's he's, never, he's no. going to his junior year, and you got to see him on the field at some point for us to, and Tiasum's never come close to playing a game. Right. Yeah. And then, so you have to see these guys your at pa- no point. Your pass rush for the, you know, I know how many times. I've, your pass rush is going to come from scheme, not an individual that's suddenly going to jump up. Your defensive linemen are going to get sacks because of the scheme, not because they suddenly became much better pass rushers. Now, interior defensive linemen that aren't great can be good through coaching and hard work, and as we talked about, I think after last week's podcast, we are kind of talking about the same thing. I think we're going to talk about the defensive tackle and nose tackle after every podcast and during every podcast because yeah. there's going to be a lot of questions about it. They can be solid, and they can hold the point. 
they don't have to be difference makers. They have to do their job, hold their gap, shoot, the, whatever they can do. What you're saying is, you know, is it just going to be bad? It doesn't have to be the mismatch of Jason Tatum dunking over Notre Dame all the time mismatch. No. It just has to be the, hey, this little zone is working out mismatch for Notre Dame. Like, to put it in basketball context, you look out there, Jason Tatum could do that every play. Jump over Notre Dame and shoot. But it doesn't work that way. If you play sound fundamental defense, you make him make a hard shot. In football, you don't have to be blown off the ball just because the offensive lineman's a lot better than you. You can just stay low. It goes back to what Priester said a minute ago about Mike Elko describing Drew Tranquil. If you get frustrated as a coach because a guy is failing at a job that you're putting him in a position to fail, that's kind of on you as a coach. So if if Mike Elko says, you know what, we need 12 sacks from Jerry Tillery, that's kind of on Mike Elko. I mean, they're going to have to figure out a different way to do that um, than asking their interior defensive linemen to be pass rushers because there's just not a Sheldon Day on the roster right now. Interior defensive linemen become pass rushers when you create double teams elsewhere yeah. and, and, and offensive lineman just has to peel off of a guy and, and then he makes he makes a sack. Last question, SR5452. How do you guys explain guys like Pete Makwa, Elijah Taylor, Micah Dutredway, and Brandon Tiasim? Is it poor scouting, poor coaching, or both? I understand some are in a way young, but other programs get their young guys ready. They were all three-star kids or higher. Do you think the new staff will get something out of them? I think to explain it, Makwa was a late take that they were forced to kind of take. Now, Makwa, of all these guys, has probably made the most plays, two to one, right? Elijah Taylor. He made one. He made a couple in the USC, or one USC and one Syracuse. Makwa, Makwa made, this is a good conversation, by the way. A whole, we're in the senior and junior year. We're counting two plays to one. Okay, so Taylor's <laughs> made two to three, and Makwa's made one to two. The other two haven't played. So there is some poor coaching, scouting development across the board here. Um, I don't think anyone thought when they got the three together, do Treadway, Taylor, and Tiasim, like, yes, that's it. That's the haul they needed to solidify this inside. It was all like, we need some bodies, and maybe they can develop. Taylor was a guy they targeted real early. Like They liked him a lot. Um, but the other so, guys were late takes, right? Yeah, the Mako was, well, was definitely late, late, late. Yeah. I mean, they flipped him from Rutgers. Elijah Taylor, that was a guy the staff was like, this is the guy we want. We're going to go all out after him, and they got him. Why didn't they play him until the end of last year? I do not understand that at all, and that was something that I think Brian Kelly basically was like, I don't know either. Um, do Treadway and Tiasim were interesting because they were – they were takes over the summer, so they were not early takes, but they're not late takes. And they took them really before other schools were getting involved. They were they were just strange. Um, Duke Treadway, I think Priester and I sort of liked as a de- uh, developmental guy, like a Capron Lewis Moore, because I, there's a yeah, there's a level of athleticism yeah. there and a big body, good frame. We'll see. I had I mean, no idea how to play football coming to Notre yeah. Dame, though. <laughs> he made a play in the spring game, if we're counting plays we've seen over three years. Remember okay. we were watching that in the sun, and he jumped out there? And I saw him in a, How do you remember that? I, <laughs> I saw him the in the only all, time I've ever seen him okay, on a football yeah. field. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> in an all-star game, I he looked at me like he had no idea how to play football. You know, and I, I mean, I... Which is, no, that, that's I not think, totally unique for a defensive lineman coming in right. at 17 just years a raw, old. Yeah, it was yeah. a raw 270-pound, really 6'5 body. You knew he was going to redshirt, and he did. Then he had the injury, so we have no clue what he's... He was running with the twos last week. That is the most information that I've <laughs> received about Micah Treadway in two years, is the fact that he was running with the twos. I mean, and then Brandon Tiasam, that one I just didn't really get. 
it was for a different defense. I think they looked at it as like, hey, we need a, a nose guard body. And, you know, it, they don't really have that. They don't really play that guy anymore. I mean, you look at it's Jerry Tillery and Jonathan Bonner, they're quicker, more athletic interior defensive linemen, opposed to your, your, your 320 right. pound. Now, that, that will change with the class coming in. The, the I mean the freshman class coming in with Yule and then the following class yeah those are good athletes I mean right. I think especially Yule and Tagovailoa most I mean those are good athletes yeah. for those positions so well, one of those three Mock was a senior and the only way he's back is if he distinguishes himself because they have such a roster shrink coming for next year well one yeah. of those three guys be a fifth year valuable player at Notre Dame uh, I know. could see two of them that's what that's more important I could see Taylor one, and two of them. I just what I, I just I want to say this of all the hundreds of film reviews I've done some of my worst reports involve these four guys right oh worst is in not not Rosie correct I you meant you've been yeah. playing wrong I was like well, what do you no do no no I mean worst <laughs> yeah. highly skeptical yeah. yes yeah especially Makwa who was really really slow coming out of high school yeah and that's like, he's showing some quickness now off yeah. the snap that you you never even saw that in high school I like Taylor that's why I asked that question I, yeah. I still think Elijah Taylor could be a player yeah I look he he tackled a Dory Jackson <laughs> I mean that that has to count for something. It counts for time. twice as much when my yeah. in my three tackle thing. That's like a that's a, that's a swear. And Juju Smith Schuster, I believe. No, it was Ronald Jones and Adoree Jackson. That's like nine tackles. Tackle that's like nine tackles on a curve. Yeah, that's no good. question. All right, well that's it for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider. As we mentioned, Notre Dame is on spring break. There's no spring practice to report on. Tim Priester is driving to Buffalo God, uh, tomorrow. God be with me. So he might not be joining us on our podcast next week. Uh, but we'll be back March 20th to recap, recap Notre Dame's first couple games in the NCAA tournament, see if they make the other sweet sink, talk a little bit about spring practice coming back. So until March 20th, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening. Writers from irishillustrated.com are now on WSBT Radio. Join Tim Priester, Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley, and WSBT Radio's Sean Styers for the Irish Illustrated Hour. Get the latest insight on what's happening with the Notre Dame football team, along with other Irish athletic programs, plus interviews with Notre Dame newsmakers. The Irish Illustrated Hour can be heard in March, Mondays at 7 p.m. on Michiana's Sports Leader, 961 FM, WSBT.